Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. All right, so fellow Agilists, welcome to what has essentially evolved into the Virtually Agile Videocast, which is a series which will share conversations with Agile thought leaders as well as amplifying newer voices. And the first of those today, I have the pleasure of welcoming a friend of mine, someone whose energy and creativity rivals my own a little bit. The all singing, all dancing, quite literally, relentlessly value-focused Agile coach and professional coach, Susanna Chambers. Welcome, Susanna. Good morning, Chris. What a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you for having me on. It's absolutely great to have you here. So first and foremost, just how how are you? I'm really good. It's a fabulous Friday, which I call every Friday, of course. Um, but it's especially fabulous because I actually managed to do the school run with my daughter this morning, which I always absolutely love. And it's, uh, you know, it always kind of puts stuff in perspective for the week, dropping her off at school. So, yeah, feeling in a good place. Yeah, lots of exciting, cool, agile stuff going on, too. Glad to hear it. So anyone who hasn't come across you before, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your journey. How did you come to be an agile coach and what are you about Okay, so um, I suppose I ended up getting into being an Agile coach because of the golden thread that runs through my entire career portfolio, which those of you that will know me from social media know is quite an eclectic mix, let's say, (laughs) of of, uh, areas of work. But fundamentally, it's all about being interested in people. It's all about wanting life to be better and wanting to bring joy for people, you know. So Agile coaching is a really great vehicle for me to fulfill my mission in life, which is to bring joy. And in terms of how I actually ended up working in the agile field, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, but a great one at that. I'd never heard of agile or scrum, for example, until about three years ago. And I was invited as a result of a national education policy role I was in to go and facilitate some uh, training in Vienna on cybersecurity and Bitcoin. Okay. For, for a major European banking group. So there were delegates there from 10 different countries. And because I'm half Slovak, you see, so I speak Slovak and I've lived in Germany and I speak German. Um, I was, I was invited. Ahoy. Uh, ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> very good. Very for, the, for those that don't speak Slovakian, that's one of the few phrases I know in Slovakian. And it means hello. Uh, the reason I know that is I went to Slovakia on a stag do and I was dressed as a pirate. <laughs> Chris. You might have seen me. You, you might have seen me. <laughs> other, hang on, other keyword then. What's beer in Slovak? Come on. I, I genuinely can't remember. The alcohol has robbed that memory from me, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, so I'll give this to you for free. So it's piva. Piva. Now, now you say it, I remember it. Now it, it rings a bell. <laughs> anyway, so um, I think it was actually over a few beers and a few glasses of wine. I had this conversation with uh, with this person that had invited me to do the training in Vienna. And at the end of the three days of training, this guy said to me, Susanna, you should be a scrum master. And it really freaked me out a bit because I thought it sounded well dodge. So I thought, right, I'm not really sure whether I want to go down this path. But, uh, you know, I found out a bit about it. I was between contracts. So within two weeks, I'd done my certified scrum master training um, with a brilliant, brilliant trainer called Dot Tudor. 
who um, I caught up with last week and it's been so lovely to catch up with her about my journey. Um, and then two weeks after that, I'd landed my first Scrum Master role, which was in um, one of England's biggest further education colleges. So very much in an environment where there wasn't any history at all of Agile or Scrum. So uh, I suppose you could say it's been a bit of a kind of rookie sort of journey. But now I'm in it. I'm absolutely loving every second. <laughs> it is a, an interesting journey. Very much different from my own. I, I, I got into the, the field because I was part of large consultancies and I was working in that a typical waterfall background and agile was was growing and growing and growing and like common commonly consultancies do they sell you off to a client as a as an expert and I had to learn scrum very very quickly and and i i was exposed to it and i just loved it it made sense why wouldn't you want to iterate very frequently based on what you learn uh, pivot accordingly the, the fast feedback loops not committing to everything up front it just it just made sense and i i've been sold ever since so it's always oh. great to hear someone someone else's journey. Um, one of the things I was really keen to speak to you about, and it's, it's something that resonates with me in particular, is again, your, your energy, your creativity, and uh, the, you know, that, that style of coaching that you bring to the table with those you work with. So what's your experiences of you know, this creative side of Agile and the impact it's had with the teams that you work with? Um, great question. I mean, the, the first thing I would say is that the two first Scrum Master roles I had were in, were in environments where there was no backdrop culturally or historically to agile ways of working. And I have to say, inevitably, that makes it much, much more challenging to bring that creative perspective on bringing agile ways of working to life through coaching. Now, what did happen, though, just over a year ago, was I joined Sainsbury's Tech as an as an agile coach, which was a completely different ball game and absolutely uh, enabled me to have that playground to bring my creative streak and my you know uh, natural propensity to want to kind of you know introduce different perspectives and you know empower teams and say hey you know how do you want to approach this you know don't feel limited by the way it's all, always been done and that was really made possible at Sainsbury's Tech because they've got a very strong background in agile ways of working and frankly there was a culture there of psychological safety that enabled me as a coach to feel that I could bring all of my full toolbox and repertoire to the ways in which I was engaging with teams and serving them and you know ceremonies and you know the kind of conversations we were having around ways of working so that is one thing I think is really important to highlight that, you know, however creative you are as a, an agile coach and however keen you are and hardworking, ultimately, the culture of an organisation is still very important. Of course, it's going to help you bring that creativity to others if the culture lends itself to that. It's a, it's a really interesting and valid point. I was actually at a, a meetup last night on the topic of psychological safety that Giles, Lindsay and um, a few others were, were hosting and yeah, we were talking about psychological safety, the challenges around people wanting to return to work, obviously bringing your whole self to the workplace and that sort of thing. And the, the culture therein and the, the environment that there, there, there is in place can very much determine whether you feel able to bring that creativity to the table and whether it will be supported. Now, I, I actually spent six months working for Sainsbury's myself. So I've been to the, the Holborn oh, okay. office. I, I worked in the basement area. I can see and, and experience that um, firsthand, what it's like to be able to work in that environment that is very open to agile ways of working and creativity. 
So from, yeah, for me, it's absolutely essential to have that psychological safety in place to enable your creativity. But at the same time, I, w- I would, I would just challenge people to up their game a little bit. Even if you don't feel that uh, perhaps the, the culture's there, it will never be there unless you try, unless you, you know, unless you try and do these things. And yeah, it's easier than ever. It's easier than ever to just, for example, I, I create a lot of free resources and there's loads out there. There's just so much content out there. It's easier than ever just to have a little experiment, try it and see how it works. Yeah, it might just begin at the team level and one team likes it and then other teams hear about it and they want to get involved too. Don't let um, an existing culture prevent you from bringing your whole self or creativity to the workplace. Because in my experience, uh, at least in my experience, this may not be true of everyone. It's so well resonated. I get so many messages from people saying, oh, we tried this retro. It was great. And people loved yeah. it. And they, they were engaged and focused. And we tried this. I think it pays dividends. And yeah, I'm, I'm so for it. Absolutely. And I love that. And I mean, the thing that drew me to you in the first place, Chris, because obviously we connected through LinkedIn, didn't we, about a year ago, I think, mm-hmm. was, oh, my gosh, wow. This person is so creative. This person's so energetic. This person loves doing the kind of stuff that I love doing. And like you say, when you actually see teams engaging, or not just teams, but also at an individual level, like you say, very often people forget, you know, that actually people going on that journey themselves, you know, to discover agile coaching and their own professionalism, that can sometimes be quite a lonely pathway for people. So I think that the type of content, you know, and the type of innovation that you lead on is absolutely invaluable as a support, not just for teams themselves or organisations, but also for individuals. So, you know, one one of the things I would say I am very proud to have uh, taken to Sainsbury's Tech. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going on to a new role uh, in a couple of weeks. And it was acknowledged when I left Sainsbury's Tech last week that one of the things that I had really brought to the culture there in agile coaching was something that when I joined was not particularly emphasized, but was an absolute, um, you know, core part of my approach to coaching. And that is the professional coaching aspect of the agile coaching competency framework, you know, right? So the X wing, Mm -hmm. Um, because I've got a very strong background in professional coaching, for example, Um, Most recently, studying leadership coaching at Harvard University's Extension College, which which was one of my uh, lockdown learning experiences (laughs) that I I took myself through. Um, That has been absolutely invaluable, not just in terms of understanding, you know, the mechanics, you know, the stuff that's documented, you know, in terms of best practice, in terms of whether it's in the scrum guide or anything else. Right. And there's a whole field of knowledge that. I've only just started to scratch the surface on, but, you know, I'm learning every day and, and I'm, I'm enjoying the journey learning that stuff. But actually, the professional coaching aspect of that is so fundamental to tuning in and understanding, <clears throat> albeit in a remote context over the last year, how those individuals are showing up and turning up as part of the team, right? So the team is made up of individuals. So I have been absolutely unapologetic in really trying to finesse and nurture that professional coaching aspect of my agile coaching practice. And the feedback from colleagues has spoken for itself, you know, and, and, and I'm really, really delighted that that's something that I was a- actually able to bring to the role at Sainsbury's. Sounds really positive. I, I've always loved that um, that visual, uh, that agile competency coaching matrix. I think Lisa Adkins was the, the creator of it. It's in her book, Coaching Agile Teams. 
Um, it's it was refined a little bit uh, by by Jonathan Fell, I think, a few years ago, mm-hmm. to include a couple of areas around uh, agile mindsets um, and that sort of things. And actually, I produced a visual a while ago that uh, maps uh, the agile competency coaching matrix, that X wing, as you say, but mm-hmm. on it places the the resources that might help you improve those areas. So the the books, the podcasts, and things like that. And so that that's that's I, I found was again well received because I think when I first discovered that I was like okay great you know here's here's this visual and here's where I currently would place myself and here's where others would place me on it there's a there's a great reflection exercise you can do to gauge where you currently are and where you'd like to be but then it was like well what next how do I how do I improve yeah. in that area so I began exactly. researching and and adding to that and and creating this visual that would guide others if they wanted to perhaps excel in or progress in transformational mastery mastery what courses should i take if i wanted to get better at facilitation mm-hmm. what books should i read so yeah i, th- I love i love that visual yeah. and yeah I, I think what what was good to point out there you focused on professional coaching you, know, you could probably spend a lifetime to be honest working on all of those different <laughs> areas and still never be an expert in any one area you, you might as a coach just be exceptionally Absolutely. good at one of them if I was to think about my my journey, I think it's a continuum as well. It's not a you are never a fixed point in time on that. You'll probably get better at some and worse at others comparatively because the body of knowledge is growing. Yeah. So I, I I would say my sure. my journey nowadays is probably a, quite heavy on the transformational mastery, very heavy on the facilitation stuff. I actively sought to improve mentoring by taking on more mentors, but there was or mentees, sorry, but there were some areas that kind of just started to slip as a result because you just can't possibly focus on all of them. No, exactly. And I think what, you, what you're describing there as well, Chris, is always interesting, right? Because if somebody's asked to self-evaluate against the X-Wing, it's the classic pattern I used to see for many years when I was teaching in adult learning as well and in, working in that field through to international level where you'd ask a learner, you'd say to them, so, you know, on the scale of zero to 10, you know, your classic Likert kind of stuff. So where would you position yourself in your knowledge and understanding and skills? And a classic pattern we would see, and I think it's the same of the X-Wing, is that because, as you say, the body of knowledge is growing, because the context is changing in this VUCA world, you know, to use that phrase that we're all hearing all the time, um, it's shifting sands, right? So you could try and put a pin in and, and grade yourself in terms of where you think you are. But one of the greatest things, right, is when you're actually working with teams as well, and they actually position themselves, perhaps, quite high on the on the scale in some respects um in terms of team health or in terms of our own coaching practice and when you see over time that actually the score might seem to be lower but of course it's not that you've necessarily got worse although i've got i've taken on what you've just said it might be that you realize that you knew so little mm. about what the scale entailed. So actually what seems like a regression actually is a really great demonstration of learning. And I'm I'm so delighted you mentioned about uh, John as well. I mean, the last conversation I had with John, you know, we were exploring these additions, as you say, that he'd made to the X-Wing, which, you know, was music to my ears. And I absolutely loved, you know, hearing about um, that. Uh, but there's another important connection here in terms of you describing that. And also my approach to coaching, um, you know, particularly in terms of the professional coaching aspect, because there's a connection actually between myself and Lisa Adkins as well, because Lisa and I are both what what are called personal agility recognised ambassadors. Okay. 
So we're in a global network, so it's an accreditation from the Personal Agility Institute. And Lisa and I both work as what are called paras. And it's all about applying agile principles to how you live your life. So this is actually really interesting to me. I, I know I knew that you were part of this and I must admit, I know nothing about anything on that on that topic. Right. I know nothing about personal agility, any any principles, values or approaches therein. However, what I do actively do myself is I, I, I use agile principles to, to govern my own life. Okay. Wonderful. And and what I'm interested to see is based on knowing nothing about this this you know the ambassadorship that you're you're doing there and the principles and values therein, whether my translation of agile into how I, I govern my life will also kind of match. So let okay. me let me let me tell you a few things about what I do from an agile perspective. Okay. So I I do daily journaling. All right. This is this to me is like my own daily stand up with myself. Okay. And what I what I answer is kind of what what helped me achieve my goals, what didn't help me achieve my goals, what value did I bring, um, how am I feeling, you know, emotionally, other, other you know, th things things like that. I then do that on a weekly basis as well, so I can see trends. Okay. And essentially, that's like my own retrospective, a solo perspective of myself. Awesome. Um, obviously, these are all engendering fast feedback loops, the ability to see data, trends, and things like that. Because if you get stuck inside your own head. You can't possibly remember exactly how you felt a week ago or what you did a week ago in detail. But getting it down onto paper through journaling was one of my my ways of doing that. Mm. Any of those things there, do they do they resonate with that personal agility approach? It certainly does, Chris. And first of all, congratulations, because it sounds like it's very much embedded in your daily cadence, which is wonderful, because that's that's the first thing around personal agility, right? That it it becomes very normalized. You know, it's a very embedded natural part of how you check in with yourself so where you're talking about the journaling that immediately resonates with an aspect of personal agility which is called celebrate and choose okay so it's this idea like you said you know that you've got a fast feedback loop now as it happens for example when i'm using my personal agility priorities map and what we call the breadcrumb trail the cadence for that is to be a week, right? But there's absolutely no reason, like you said, if you're if it's working for you on a daily basis and you've got that fast feedback loop, fantastic. But it's this idea that even on an individual basis, when we're thinking about what really matters to us in life, where are we spending our time investing? How are we progressing towards the goals and where we feel we add value to what we want to achieve? It's the idea of pausing to celebrate and give ourselves a pat on the back. Okay, so so effectively, it's it's like with teams, right? So like you said, if we didn't have a sprint retro, it immediately limits that opportunity for a team to actually take stock, celebrate, not just focus on what needs improving, etc. So what you're describing is great because that's exactly the same mentality. And in a personal agility context, this thing called celebrate and choose is all about either with a celebration partner, whether that's a friend, whether that's, you know, with your spouse, whether that's with a colleague, whoever, or, you know, if you've got none of those uh, available to you, yourself, you know, I mean, I've been in a position before where I've, uh, you know, been my own celebration partner and actually <laughs> managed to make that work. And it's really about getting into that rhythm of thinking, right, I'm not going to sprint all the time. 
I'm actually going to stop. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back, celebrate, and what next? So yeah, that that definitely is really, really um, fitting with a personal agility approach. What you're doing, Chris? Interesting. Well, it's good to, good to know that uh, my my translation, I said, my my inner thoughts as to how I would apply agility to my own life also resonates with what other practitioners are doing. So <laughs> great to hear. Um, all right, then. I'm, I'm really keen to talk with you. And it's, it's something uh, I, I heard about, and I haven't had the opportunity to attend one of your talks on it yet. But metrics and chill. Tell me all about it. What's metrics <laughs> and chill? Okay, well, thank you for your interest. And <laughs> I answer your question can I start answering your question by explicitly saying what metrics and chill is not yeah do it okay so metrics and chill is not OKRs <laughs> okay metrics and chill is not KPIs okay right and the reason I'm putting that out there as a disclaimer is that this approach has been increasingly gaining uh, interest internationally not just within the teams that I have been serving through my agile coaching role and um, sometimes where there's been some confusion about it it's been this idea that well there's already a load of stuff out there about OKRs and KPIs you know um, there's, there's already conversations around value and how do you measure value okay now metrics and chill is almost the foundation before you reach that stage of looking at OKRs, KPIs, etc. right? So metrics and chill is a value articulation framework, as I call it. And it's all about co-crafting a culture within teams that can explain in a very clear, concise way what value is being brought to the table. Now, the catalyst for me creating this approach was many years, even before I got into working in tech and agile coaching, what have you, of seeing teams going around in circles, frankly, and actually having dysfunctions emerging because they were spending so much time worrying about not being able to prove that they were having a return on investment or, you know, that they, they were doing the job they were meant to do, that it was actually a blocker for them spending the time effectively and fulfilling their potential. So I created that to say, right, okay, so why don't we just take some time out, scope out what metrics are you currently using, okay? Then try and get almost in a meditative kind of mindfulness state. I'm not talking about full-on yoga, by the way. We're not talking lycra here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail now from anybody that does yoga saying that I'm stereotyping. I can't do yoga. I try. I can't get my leg up that high. <laughs> so before I, before I keep digging myself into a hole even more, I'm going to move on and just say that this was then around suspending reality for a minute, but this being a shared team experience, right? Where it would be, okay, what metri metrics do we currently use to measure our value? What metrics could we use to measure our value? So instead of having that negative self-talk all the time, well, we can't do this because this, you know, well, we can't get that information. To be aspirational about what metrics do we think would really, realistically and validly demonstrate the value that we understand that we're generating day on day. And of course, that fits beautifully with uh, Agile ceremonies, you know, in terms of understanding why we're here, why we're turning up to do the job that we do. So, so there are two approaches of metrics and chill that I coach people in. The first one is taking those metrics that the teams themselves have identified 
so they can craft it into what we call a basket of measures. So a basket of measures is no more than three works in progress, purely focused on metrics and how the, it can tell the story of the value being articulated. And that runs on a quarterly cadence with monthly inspect and adapt sessions. And remember, teams I've worked with have actually used this, you know, so this is kind of tried and tested that, that this has had a positive impact. And the other um, aspect of metrics and chill that I coach people in is what's called value statementing. Now, value statementing is, again, disclaimer, it is not value proposition statement, okay? Value statementing, the reason I've made it a verb is because I've made it into a doing word, the mm -hmm. idea that the teams are active in shaping how they are creating value statements. So whereas value proposition statements, as we know, can often be very command and control, control and actually, frankly, quite inaccessible culturally to quite a lot of teams, especially if they're newer teams and they've not, they've not formed uh, fully yet. Value statementing is all about blending together metrics and intelligence that the team have got from different sources to come up with very pithy, powerful, compelling statements to influence and engage stakeholders and demonstrate their value. All right, excellent synopsis there. What I, what I like about uh, what you just told me is that the, the starting point seems to be begin where the team is. And what are they yeah. currently tracking? What are they currently tracking? And then what's, what do we aspire towards? So it's kind of two, two, two states, two points in time that you're, you're thinking about. Yeah. And I think I, this, this, this leans nicely into a lot of existing concepts that are quite widely known. You know, you've got definitions of done and definitions of ready that exist. But the challenge with those is that they are often just this thing that the team agrees at the beginning and they forget about or they don't they don't actively adjust over time. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, a definition of done is probably just a bit like what we've, we've said with the beginning of metri uh, metrics and chill there. It's the starting point. Um, and I I like the idea of a definition of done being like, here's where we are now. But here's our aspiration. Here's our definition of awesome. Yes. Yes. Um, the other thing that I, I, I particularly liked about what you described was the, the verbiage value statementing uh, by making it a doing word to me makes it a, a participative ongoing thing right where a statement feels like it's again created not reviewed so by making it a doing yeah. an active word i think reinforces the fact that it's just a the current current knowledge at that point in time but our value statement may change and we should again iterate just like with agile we should iterate on anything we should be continuously looking at better and new ways of doing things and changing, pivoting based on what we learn. Correct. And, and Chris, it, it links so beautifully back to the point you were powerfully making earlier about psychological safety, right? That, you know, yeah, great if the culture is there that is supportive of agile ways of working, but actually for people to take ownership themselves, you know, and play an active role in trying to shape that culture and that narrative, right? So again, through my agile coaching, I very, very much encourage not just through metrics and chills, but generally through interactions with the teams to say, yes, of course, you know, we are courteous and we are polite, but in the interests of continuous improvement, you absolutely can legitimately ask questions that may be perceived as challenging the narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is the harm? Frankly, if, if by asking a question that is perceived to be challenging the uh, headline discourse, <clears throat> that's perceived to be in any way a negative 
then that has got some lessons for the team to learn about the organization generally anyway. But um, one of the things you see about metrics and chill being, like I say, that precursor, let's say, let's call it a prequel. Why don't we call metrics and chill a prequel to the value, <laughs> the value series, okay? All right, okay. <laughs> you can tell I've just been watching all the Marvel films with my younger son, right? <laughs> yeah, you, meant, you mentioned uh, the, the Winter Soldier last night, right? I was, I was, yeah, exactly. Um, and so if you think of metrics and chill as the prequel, this is about saying, look, you know, you absolutely, any team, any agile team can have a conversation about value and the value they bring and the metrics, whether it's, you know, Dora metrics, whether it's, um, you know, how they use burn down charts, you know, flow metrics, you know, whatever they're using, that's fine. Equally, it's one of those things, yes, though that series of conversations around understanding metrics and value will make sense to some degree but it's only really when you go back to the prequel and you understand the foundations for the context for those conversations about value that the rest of it will fully make sense right absolutely context absolutely is very much key exactly. right i have a question for you around the virtual world we're in right now. I, I, I call myself the virtual agile coach. And the reason for that is because I realized that the vast majority of my working life, ever since I got into just, just business in general, just in IT in general, I always had some element of a distributed team. There was always someone based offshore. There was always a team that wasn't in the same location as me. And as a consequence, I realized I had lots of knowledge to share around how to make virtual agile work. Now, I always love asking this question because I'm sure there's lots of things, lots of little things that you do as a coach to try and enable virtual, the virtual teams to be successful. So what's your, what's your top tip for coaching virtual teams? Okay. So the, well, the, there are two. Okay. okay. So the first one is um, bring it to life as much as you can with props. I mean, I'm from a teaching background, right? And I know that teaching is only one aspect again of this. <laughs> oh, wow, Elmo. Elmo is because of uh, enough, let's move on. I yes, love that phrase. I've got my, yes, I've got... Yeah. these are just props I have lying around. <laughs> I love that. You see, this is why we get on, Chris. This is why this we This is my are. skiing helmet. I... <laughs> said do you remember me saying on a previous conversation it's not i think you came onto a call with your pirate hat on didn't you yeah and uh, and i think i did say it's not very often i go on calls and i'm out dressed <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that about you and um, so so yeah absolutely so i also have an elmo puppet and it's it's little things like that right so one of the things that i really have discovered but also proven i think during my agile coaching practice is that you know you absolutely can be completely professional you know completely professional in the way that you are coaching and working with teams however particularly in a virtual context you know if it was ever true with uh, coaching and teaching face to face it absolutely is even more true virtually we need to bring these four sides of the screen right to life so anything we can do you know if it's if it's bringing the ocarina on if it's built if it's bringing the elmo puppet if it's bringing the star wars costumes absolutely you know do it because let's face it the human mind wanders very easily right we know how easy it is for people to get distracted so let's try and do our colleagues a favor and make it that bit easier for them. If they're on eight, 10 hours of Teams calls, for example, a day, 
how on earth can we possibly expect them you know to work optimally unless there's some variety there you know and it might just it might not just be visual variety right so there's all kinds of stuff as we know through the creative retros you know through the way you can play games um you know either socially or through a sprint retro where we can incorporate you know the various senses you know it might be incorporating sounds or you know as as we know you and i both love the music stuff right so all of that so that would be the first top tip i would give in terms of remote working but the second one is even more basic than that and yet i found it's even more powerful than all my props combined and that is asking colleagues what time works for them for a particular discussion okay because particularly we know right if we if we're operating across time zones we've not only got that we've got that also combined with the fact that we've got complex teams made up of various people that each may have their own biorhythms and their own uh, their own preference for having a particular type of meeting at a particular type of day now you can't always make that work for everybody but as a team grows and forms and gets to the performing stage and everybody knows each other more we're going to get a sense right as coaches we're going to get a sense that ah so and so never has their camera on and actually when you have the conversation it turns out because they're, they're just not a morning person and they've just not come round yet yes and they're on the call and they're engaging but they're just not ready to be seen right so it's it's that kind of thing ask the question and i think even something as simple as timing of meetings even if it can't always be accommodated my experience is that by showing that you're being thoughtful and caring about the fact that people are working in different time zones that in itself is empowering for them because instead of feeling like oh i'm having this time imposed on me because that's the time box for that's the um time zone for everybody else um, they actually then at least have more in that kind of power balance extremely poignant and again something i very much buy into ask the team I'm, I'm a huge fan of the concept of a remote working charter you know you know we have team charters where they, they define what what good looks like and what what metrics they track and what their strengths and weaknesses are and all those sorts of things there's no reason why a team or even an organization can't sit down and say hey what does what does good remote working look like what does bad remote yeah. working look like how can we enable each other to be successful in this remote working world mm. what meeting times can we subscribe to and that sort of thing I don't think enough companies have performed that activity and they've just kind of winged it a little bit and allowed things to evolve. Obviously, some companies have been uh, perhaps better equipped to handle it. They had stronger remote working practices that existed beforehand, so the transition for them was easier. But mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of companies and teams, in fact, can benefit from just that open, honest, frank conversation with themselves to say, hey, we don't know the answers. Let's figure it out together. 100%, 100%. And you know, we, we, well, there's two, two reflections on that point you've just made, Chris. Number one is you and I both know, right? We all know there are so many organizations out there that are say, saying, oh, we're agile. We're doing agile, you know, and I know it's very cliche because it's all the time on social media about this, this thing about the difference between being agile and doing agile, right? I've seen that firsthand, you know, I mean, when I was at Sainsbury's Tech, they were being agile, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, as with all organizations, you know, I, uh, I we've always had varied and interesting days as an agile coach, but you know, some other organizations, absolutely I've seen that tick box mentality where people just want to kind of get on the bandwagon basically and just say, oh, tick, we do that, we do that. 
And again, this mindset that just because you're doing scrum ceremonies, for example, it absolutely does not mean that you are being agile. So, sure. <laughs> so, so um, that that's the first bit. And then the second bit is, I think that this is where um, it's one of those things. Again, I'm coming out with all the cliches this morning, aren't I? I apologize. <laughs> so I was going to say that phrase, you know, that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Sure. Oh, I just quoted Joni Mitchell, I've just realised, and she's my favourite, so that's not surprising. Um, so you don't know what you've got till it's gone, and I think that, you know, that was never truer than of agile coaching in organisations, that um, it's those things, as you say, it's those things about having active change agents, you know, we as agile coaches, as active change agents, that we are always on the lookout for those opportunities to open up that conversation you know and also us have an opportunity to model to our colleagues right so we want we want to model the behavior we want to see right so if we want teams to be able to feel that they can allow themselves to be vulnerable in that you know amy edmondson classic psychological safety environment then you know we have an opportunity as agile coaches to show where we're vulnerable and the fact that you know we're we're struggling sometimes but yeah so so i think that you know actually we are massively privileged in the roles that we're in to be in that position to actually model that vulnerability but demonstrate how you can move beyond that vulnerability to problem solve and learn and find a solution Mm. um but also always having that focus on opening the conversation and saying to people yeah okay the culture might be that way but you are not powerless you know don't go don't go with this learned helplessness you know you absolutely can legitimately ask powerful questions to make sense of the environment that you're working in you know and improve performance and you can quite sum that up very well which was saying lead by example and i i embody that myself um you were talking about psychological safety there admitting vulnerability i've been very open with anyone who will who will hear me about my own mental health challenges for example and in, and in a leadership position in my company by me being open vulnerable about that mm-hmm. i i've found that it's caused others to feel more comfortable speaking out themselves i'm a mental health first aider and i i i hold weekly drop-in sessions just to allow a space for people to come and, and talk and i think these things they all help build an environment where people are more comfortable speaking out there's obviously work to be done and there always mm-hmm. will be because every situation and context is different but leading by example for me is one of my, my key ways it's how i how i enable people to feel comfortable speaking out on meetings i'm the first one to do something silly whether that's put my pirate hat or bunny ears or whatever <laughs> that may be just doing something uh, can inspire others to, to get on board too right final that's final question yeah. conscious of time Sure. And I think you, you knew this one was coming. So what's your favorite retrospective you've ever been involved in? And after that, what new retrospective would you add to my backlog? Oh, wow. What a great question. Okay. So obviously we've collaborated on a retro, right? So that was really fun. Um, in terms of the one I think that kind of really, really made me think while I was facilitating which was selfishly why I loved it as well because I could see other people getting value from it but then I was learning stuff as well um was the Queen's Gambit themed retro that I designed and in fact that was thanks to you Chris because I'd never even heard of World Retrospective Day till I heard you mention it on your LinkedIn 
and that was the catalyst for me to designing that one and i um i absolutely love the queen's gambit but what it really really what what the reason i really enjoyed facilitating that one was because it really just um brought this idea into focus i think for the team that you've got the rules right you've got the rules of the game okay in the same way as you know in a sprint we've got the the rules i use in inverted commas right the rules of agile oh i i, I hate doing that i do the whole dr evil thing. i'm sorry about that <laughs> laser <laughs> yeah Oh God, that could go anywhere. <laughs> I need to do. I need to do an Austin Powers theme retrospective now. Uh, anyway. Oh my gosh, there you go. That's that was subliminal. That needs to be. That needs to be the next retro. In fact, you want to collaborate on it? That'd be so fun. Let's let's create an Austin Powers theme retrospective. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. So so um so with the Queen's Gambit one, the idea that yeah, so there are the rules of of agile, although I use that extremely loosely. There are the rules as we know very often, unspoken rules of the culture or the organisation that you're working in. Um, but that actually, you know, if you think about how you then play the game, it's what you do with the rules, right? And it's about understanding, you know, that flexibility around the rules or not. And so there were some really fascinating conversations around what different individuals in the team perceived different mm. rules to be in relation to different stories. Sure. Um, and so that was really interesting on picking this idea about rules. Um, but also it was really um, in a in a constructive way, right? So not looking at addiction from a, a kind of negative, destructive way, but actually looking at, so what gifts do we have in the team, right? You can somehow, you can somehow have gifts, but sometimes you can actually let them get out of control. So for example, uh, one of the teams had very, very talented colleagues, but they just couldn't say no to people. Sure. Which was then hurting the team. It was then impacting on the team because they couldn't say no to other people. So it's that kind of thing around if you've got a gift, A, do you recognise the gift? B, what are your gifts as a team? And C, what can you proactively do to minimize the risk that those gifts might actually backfire and self-implode and damage the team unexpectedly mm. um so there were quite some really good kind of synergies and thought thoughts emerging there sounds like a good retro i haven't seen that you'll have to you'll have to share it with me i will and my mind just because you've mentioned austin powers it's already been ticking over uh, as to as the ideas for how we can make this happen so in my mind i'm thinking we've got to have the do 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 song playing in the background oh, somewhere yeah. We've, we've got to have, uh, it's got to be quote based, I think. So yeah, baby is the things we're going to celebrate. Um, we've got, uh, I've lost my mojo. Yeah. What's what of going, what's kind of gone wrong? Where have we lost our way a little bit? It's just, it's just happening already. So that's, that will be my next it. retro. I love it. I think, do you know what? I think, um, I think that Austin Powers moonlighted as an agile coach. I think that's what was going on there. Strong career for a secret spy <laughs> back in the 60s. Right, Susanna, it's been an absolute wonderful time to have you here. Thank you for being oh, involved in the likewise. Virtually Agile video cast. And I look forward to collaborating with you soon. Me too. Look after yourself. You too. Bye now. See you. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.